we have been looking at the book of James for the last few weeks as we've looked at a series, Functional Faith. James gets very, very practical. I don't know about you, but I like practical. I think Kyle said that earlier. Uh, we, you know, there's just something about a faith that works, a faith that is functional, a faith that is not just uh, something you can't touch and grab a hold of. And today we're going to learn uh, really about the touchiness and, and the power of faith. But next week, let me just mention about next week. Next week, James, as we go through this book, uh, the next topic that we're going to look at next week is the, the power of the tongue. And uh, that will only apply to a few people who have problems with their tongue, okay? Uh, there may be a few here that, you know, sometimes say stuff you shouldn't say and, and then regret it later. Uh, there may be some here today who maybe have trouble always speaking words of faith and positivity. Uh, there could be some who get tempted to go negative and, and some things like that. And so for those few people, next week is going to be incredible, all right? So uh, I hope those of you who deal with that will be here for sure. But there are a lot of people outside this place that need that message too. Would you agree? Uh, you might work with some of them you know, that need the, the uh, message about the tongue. And so be sure to invite someone to be here next week because uh, the Bible even goes so far as to say the power of life and death is in the tongue. That's powerful. And so next week, we're going to let James tell us all about it. But today, uh, we're going to focus on what James has to say about a topic that relates so much to our culture. Uh, we're going to talk about the true religion that James really identifies. And, and to set this up, um, I think you'd have to live under a rock or not have a television or not have any kind of media, uh, perhaps not a newspaper, uh, if you remember what those are. And, uh, you know, you would not be able to have social media or anything like that to not be aware of some of the rhetoric that's been going on in our culture in regard especially to Charlottesville and the horrible uh, conflict that took place there and just kind of uh, amplified. And the media, of course, has helped us to amplify this uh, in our culture. But uh, into that uh, arena of hostility and uh, prejudice and some things like that. James, it just so happens, this is incredible, that James talks about it. And so today, uh, just as, as God would line things up through the Holy Spirit, uh, he has us talking about it because as we're going through this book of James, which we uh, set up a few months ago that we were going to do this, uh, it just so happens that it speaks right into the heart of this subject. And so uh, I believe that there's not any more important topic that we could talk about today than really civility. And, and when you think about it, it's incredible that we have to even talk about it. Uh, that we have to talk about, hey, it'd be good if you'd be nice to other people. You know, doesn't that just seem like a no-brainer? Doesn't that just seem like, okay, I think we covered that in kindergarten, you know. Uh, but uh, I believe we need a good dose of that 
in our culture today. Would you agree that there needs to be a big dose of civility? And, and so it comes from somewhere other than the government, all right? Uh, it doesn't come from the government. It doesn't come from, you know, passing a law uh, in our country. But James identifies a law that we need to live by, that there is a law, but it wasn't formed by the United States government, and it wasn't formed by any earthly government. It came from a higher authority, and so we're going to look at that today. So follow along in your notes. Now, I've been told that some of the notes are wrong, incorrect in the chapter that's there, so I think some of them say uh, chapter one when it should be chapter two. So if you want to find the place in your own Bible, if you brought a Bible with you or you have the Bible on your phone, turn to James chapter 2, and we're going to cover the entirety, really, is our intent of James chapter 2, and we're going to take communion at the end of the service today. So here's some tests that James talks about that so you can know if you have true faith, if you have true religion. So how many of you would say, I don't want to be a faker? Five of us. Okay, good. Uh, the rest of you are scaring me to death right now, all right? Uh, but, you know, we, we, don't want, we don't applaud fakers, do we, in our culture? Milli Vanilli? Uh, I don't know. Um, we, we don't applaud fakers. Uh, we don't applaud those who aren't, you know, uh, real. And, and so what we do applaud, what we do look for is authentic faith. You know, somebody who's authentic and in, in that what they say matches what they do. And so James really zeroes in on this, and we'll take a look at it uh, here together. James chapter 2, if you don't have a Bible, we'll have it up on the screen, number one. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Okay, that, that's pretty clear, isn't it? In other words, if you are a Christian, if you call yourself one of those, and of course there's a lot of different uh, you know, definitions to that. So if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a believer in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ who just happened to be James's brother, uh, this is the brother of Jesus writing this, someone said, what would your brother have to do to convince you that he's the son of God? Think of that. Yeah, I'm the son of God. Right. I think he might have to rise from the dead, right? Would that probably prove it, you know, if that happened? And so that's what happened to James. He became a follower after the resurrection, and he became a leader in the early church. And here's what he shows. He says that the first thing that shows that you have real faith is this, if you're taking notes, it shows no favoritism. There's no favoritism in real faith. Now, I don't know if you've ever shown favoritism towards someone else or if you've had other people show favoritism you know, to where they picked somebody over you because they were closer to them or they were friends with them or whatever. And, and James says, well, let's just take this illustration of the haves and the have-nots. 
You know, you, you can show favoritism, James says, toward the haves. You know, a guy comes into church, let's say, and, and back in his day, if he came in with a nice ring on, you know, he would be showing his wealth. And, and so if that person came into church and you're like, oh, check it out, so-and-so's here, get him a good seat, you know? Getting, you know, hey, uh, can we get you a cup of coffee? Can we, you know, hey, uh, how you doing? You know, glad you're here. Oh, so glad you're here. Hope you'll be coming next week. And, uh, and James says, if you act with favoritism toward that, what is that? He says, the rich often take advantage of you. They're not your friend, in other words. Many rich people are just out for what will make them richer. And they're not really looking out for your best interest, James says. So if you're just looking at it practically, why would you do that? Because they exploit you. Well, we live in a culture where there's still favoritism between the haves and the have-nots, right? I mean, if you want to, at a concert... You can go backstage if you have enough money. You know, I, I, if you raise your hand and say, oh, excuse me, I want to interrupt the, what you're doing up there. And, and, and I'd like to come back and hang with you guys after this is over, if that's okay. I, I just come backstage? How many think that would happen? <laughs> no, uh, it's not going to happen. But... There is such a thing as backstage passes, right? And how many know some money can get you places? It can get you front row seats, you know? And, and then some people get arrogant and they'll say, oh, you were at the concert? Yeah, I was up in section, you know, double Z, and, you know? And, and they were, oh, can you even see what's going on up there? You know, I was in there, I... He sweated on me, you know. <laughs> I was up in the front row. I was pretty cool. Maybe you were just watching the Jumbotron, you know. And you could have done that at home. Uh, and so as a result, you, you can get dinners with politicians if you'll pay enough for the plate. I don't know if you get to take the plate or what that is. But uh, yeah, you can get all kinds of favors in our culture. And James says, here's what happens when you do that. When you pick between the haves and the have-nots and you categorize like that, here's what you're becoming. You're becoming a judge. And my brother had something to say about that. Don't judge or you'll be judged. And in the same measure that you hand out judgment, God will use to hand judgment back to you. So you really don't want to be a judge just saying... You want to look at, you know, the heart because God doesn't look at the outward. He's not looking for the ring. He's not looking for the, the display of haves or have-nots. He's not looking at skin color. He's not looking at education pedigree. He's not looking at all those things that you look at. He looks at the heart. And in verse 8, he talks about how we can apply this. And, and you know, we live in a culture where we love to, you know, politicians love to get up and say, well, I want to sponsor a law. And, and I'll def, you know, sort this out. 
And, and what they really want is to get on TV, you know, and, and to say, you know, I'm, I'm trying to fix this, so vote me in again, because I kind of like this job. And, and so uh, here's what James says about that, all right? Here's, here's what he says. He says, if you really keep the royal law, okay, now that's not the United States law, and, and we ought to keep those, and how many know there's penalties if you don't keep those laws? Anybody ever have a speeding ticket? There's a law, right? There's a law, and if you break the law, then, then you, something's going to happen. And he says, hey, there's a, there's a better law. There's a royal law, and it's found in Scripture. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this, and you remember this as Jesus said this. He says, love your neighbor as yourself, and if you do that, you're doing right. As a matter of fact, Jesus was asked one time, hey, well, you know, we got all these commandments and all these things, all these rules and regulations from the church. What, what's the most important one? And Jesus said, well, I'll tell you what you can do. You just can't boil it down to two things. Love God with all your heart, your mind, and your strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Because wouldn't you keep all ten commandments if you did those? Yeah, you wouldn't have a problem. You wouldn't steal from somebody if you loved your neighbor as yourself. You know, if you love God with all your heart, you're not going to be envious of what somebody else has. And so Jesus tells this, and James comes along and reiterates it, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, it's treat others as you want to be treated. It's pretty simple, isn't it? And, and James says, when you don't do that, when you treat people differently, when you treat people because of their skin color, or you treat people because of their, their education, or you treat people because of their sex, or you treat people because of some other identifier about who they are, you know, they're rich or whatever, then when you treat them differently because of that, James has a real strong word for this. And in one translation, it's called, you're a transgressor. In other words, you're an intentional sinner. All right? You're a lawbreaker. You're breaking the law. You're breaking not just the law of the United States, and, and you don't want to do that. You don't want to get a ticket. You don't want to go to jail. You don't want those things to happen. But this is bigger than that. This is breaking the royal law. This is the law that came down from God to help us have a culture that's good, that works. And James is all about a faith that works. And he says the faith that works will get to work. It'll get to work on loving other people, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And here's the second thing he says it shows. It doesn't show favoritism, and it doesn't show a lack of mercy. It shows mercy, okay? It shows mercy. And I don't know about you, but I wish I were more consistent in my faith. Does anybody like that? There's a few of us here. Okay. You know, I wish that every day I was just 100%. 
you know, just 100%. All faith, no doubt. All good, no evil. All, you know, following God, no detours. Anybody with me on that? And I, I wish I was 100%. I wish 100% of the time I was 100%. But how many of us would say, that doesn't quite happen in my house? That doesn't quite happen for me. And, and so here is the thing. God knew that about y'all. All right? He knew that. And so here's what he, he says. That's why you all need grace. Right? How many are glad for grace? You're glad there's grace from God. So here's... Here's why we better really be glad for grace. Look at verse 10, what James says about why we really need grace. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Okay? So if you break one, you, you broke them all. Because he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a law breaker. In other words, it's not good enough to just have 90%. You know, hey, man, I, you know, I got like nine of those Ten Commandments down. But that murder one, man, that just, you know, there's just some people. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and of course, Jesus said, hey, 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 if you hate a person for whatever reason, it could be they're another color, it could be they're different sex, it could be they're uh, rich or poor or what, or they're something you're not or whatever, they're different from you or whatever it is. And Jesus said, if you hate them, you've committed murder in your heart. And James says, hey, did you not know that he who wrote this verse wrote that verse? Did you not know that the one who gave that commandment gave this commandment? And so it's not good enough to say, I'm 90%. James says, no, you got to be 100%, 100% of the time. Well, how do you do that? Well, Jesus called people out on it because the Pharisees would go around picking and choosing which ones they wanted to obey. You know, they'd call other people out on their sin, but they'd be hiding their own. And Jesus called them out on it. He's like, you know, you, you, you guys, you, you pick and choose what you're going to do. You say, oh, but we tithe. But then you don't treat your mom and dad well. And he says, really, you ought to do both. That's really what you ought to do. In other words, you can't just pick and choose. You can't just say, well, I got this much down. And you know, isn't it funny how we all kind of have a sin that we could harp on? You know, we could, ooh, we could get on Facebook on that one, you know? Just people who do that. And isn't it funny that the sin that you can harp on the most is probably the one you have the trouble with the least. Kind of funny how that works. You know, people say, oh, people that drink too much, you know, and all that, that's terrible, and all that horrible sin, that, 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 
that stuff's taking people to hell. And, all, and in the meantime, you can't get away from the buffet table. I'm just saying, right? And, and, but we, we rail on that one, you know? The, the sin that doesn't affect us. We can just, we can act, wax eloquent on that one. But true religion says this. Here, here's what James says. All sin is sin. Okay, say that with me. All sin is sin. And we all need grace and mercy, right? And thankfully, the royal law that James talks about includes mercy. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, For he, no, verse 12. Next slide. There we go. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. This is why God put those Ten Commandments there, because your marriage, you'll have a better marriage if you don't commit adultery. Is that not true? Anybody witness to that? That, that your marriage goes better if you don't throw adultery into it. I, I've never had anybody come to my office and say, well, you know what? We were having trouble, and then he had an affair. And boy, that fixed it. Oh, it fixed it, all right, right? No, I've never had anybody say that. So he says, you know, so we have those things in there so it gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And I love this part. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Are you glad that God's mercy triumphs over judgment? Mercy wins, doesn't it? Mercy wins. Anybody here happy about mercy because you kind of flubbed up a few times. You're kind of like me. You've not been 100%, 100% of the time. Anybody here ever made such a mistake that you wish to God you could erase it? You wish it could be eradicated. You wish you didn't have it in your life, but you do have it in your life, and you know you good and well do not deserve to go to heaven. You do not deserve that. You are not all that. There is no way. If you were to be measured up against God and His holiness and perfection, and everything you recognize easily. Anybody in this house? Anybody over here that can identify with that? Okay, maybe I'll go over here. Maybe, hey, some of you, you've flubbed up, you've messed up. Anybody on this side over here where you've sinned, you've made mistakes, you've you've had trouble in your life, but God looked down. When you looked up at God one day, I don't know when that was, it may have been here, may have been in this place. It, it may have been some other place. It may have been in your car. I don't know where it was. But you looked up at God, and somehow when God looked down at you, he chose not to look down with eyes of judgment, but he looked down with eyes of mercy. Mercy, mercy, mercy. And if some of you were honest today and you could get up and tell a story this morning, your story would be his story changed my story. What happened is mercy came along one day and rewrote 
my life. It was going that way and it was going down. But one day I looked up and eyes of mercy looked into mine and he forgave me, washed me, cleansed me, and mercy changed my life. If he changed your life, give him praise here today. All right? Now, now Jesus told a story about this to kind of help us get this. Jesus told a story about this because Jesus loved telling stories. Because, you know, people can remember stories. And, and so he would tell stories. And, and so he told this story. He says, well, there was this rich guy. And, and he was a big-time manager, owner, all this stuff. And, and he called one of his servants in one day. And he said, hey, I was checking the books, and I realized that you owe me a million dollars, and I want you to pay up now. And Jesus said, and the guy just went down to his knees. said, <laughs> Do I look like a guy that's got a million dollars? There's no way. I, I don't even know if I'm, I'm going to be able to come up with that. I'm, I'm trying my hardest. I'm working as hard as I can. I'm doing all I can, I, all I can do. But it's not enough right now. And I, 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 Please, please have mercy on me. I, I don't know what to do. I, I, I know I owe you a million dollars, but I don't know how to come up with it. And then the guy says, hey, 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 here's what we're going to do. Bookkeeper. Find that guy's name on my record books. And I want you to next to that, in that million dollar debt, I want you to use the eraser on it. And I want you to totally erase that million dollar debt that he owes me. Can you imagine? Anybody here been forgiven of quite a bit in your life? At some point in your life, you screwed up pretty bad. At some point in your life, you made some pretty bad choices, and somebody, maybe God, uh, came along and erased in your life. And, and so this guy goes out, and you're thinking, man, this guy, I mean, he's just been incredibly impacted by mercy, right? And he finds a guy who owes him like a hundred bucks. And he says to that guy, hey, hey, hey. You, you owe me a hundred bucks. You need to pay up today. And the guy said, please, please, please. Do I look like a guy who has a hundred bucks on him? Do I look like I could pay that today? I, I'm, I'm trying. I, I'm working as hard as I can, but I, I just make so little. And, and if you just give me more time, if you just have mercy on me, please, 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 just have mercy on me. And the guy grabs him by the neck and says, I told you to pay up today. I need my money now. And the guy says, I can't do it. Does that sound like him? <laughs> and that guy throws him to the police and says, lock that guy up until he can pay me in full. And the people who were standing there, Jesus said, were astonished because that's not what they expected. See, they thought when they had heard about the million-dollar forgiveness 
when they had heard about million-dollar mercy, they thought anybody who's received million-dollar mercy could give out a hundred-dollar mercy. They thought that he would easily be able to give as he has received. But he doesn't do that. And so they go back to his boss, and they say, hey, you know that guy that you did the million-dollar mercy thing with? But he went right out of here, grabbed a guy by the throat who owed him $100, and had that guy thrown into jail, separated from his family, his friends, until he could pay him up. And the guy said, bring that guy back. And he came back before the master. And he said, I would have thought when you have been forgiven so much, when you're the line of owing, the line of debt attached to your name was erased, that you'd be able to at least do something like that when you left here. But instead, I hear what you did, and so therefore, your debt is restored. Jesus said, when you give, you'll receive. When you judge others, you'll be judged. When you forgive others, you'll be forgiven. And so today, how many of you are million-dollar mercy recipients? As a matter of fact, the way that God has forgiven you, the way that God has taken his celestial eraser to your life and eradicated the sins that you've committed that you would be so ashamed if we could put them up on the screen today. But you don't have to worry about that because God took an eraser in heaven and he eliminated every single one of them. How many in this place are million dollar mercy people that you know that he deserves all the praise, all the honor, all the glory? If so, give him praise right now. See, James is calling for some show-and-tell Christians. Because, see, in our culture, we've got plenty of tell Christians. We've got people all over the place that'll tell you they're Christian. We've got people all over the place. Are you a believer in Jesus? Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But James says, really? Because if you were a real believer, you'd act like. If you're a real believer, you would show it. And here's the last thing he says. He says, it produces works. If, you're, if you've got real faith, it produces works. Now, I wanted to say shows, okay, because it rhymes with all the other ones. But that doesn't really communicate what James is saying. He says it, it's produced. In other words, it starts on the inside and then it comes outside. Uh, the faith comes in, but then the faith goes out. And so you show what's happened in your life. As a matter of fact, in verse 17, let's take a look at verse 17. It talks about how faith without works is dead. In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. 
Because anybody can say something, right? Isn't that true? You can say whatever. You can say I'm a Christian, you say whatever. But, but saying it is different than demonstrating it. And James says, he goes so far as to say next, he says, even demons believe. And the demons tremble. As a matter of fact, there's stories of Jesus. When Jesus came on the scene, he didn't even have to tell them who he was. They knew who he was. They knew. And they knew he had the power to send them into the abyss. And they would beg him, please, 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 these demons, don't, 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 you are the son of God. And he would tell them, shut up. He would tell them what to do because they understood, they respected who he was. So James says, for you to say something, that's no big deal. Even demons believe and they tremble. In other words, you need to have an 18-inch movement of your faith, perhaps, from your head to your heart, right? And, and my concern would be today that there's some people in this place who have a head relationship with God, but you don't have a heart relationship with God. And James says that's not a real relationship. You know all the right answers. You know all the things that you need to say, but you need to have a heart impact. And he gives a comparison. In verse 21, he starts this comparison. He says, you know what? And he's talking mostly to a Jewish audience. So he says, our father Abraham, and they're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, super Christian, you know, like the ultimate, like superhero Christian. You know, he's like Thor. He's like, you know, amazing. He's like, he, he's like uh, the, the giant of all faith. And he says, you know, Abraham, you know how he believed God it was counted to him as righteousness? Well, really, it wasn't just that Abraham said he believed. He said, really, if you read the story, you'll find that Abraham was willing to offer his son, Isaac, to God. He was literally willing to give his son as a sacrifice to God. And God proved that he had that kind of heart, but he did it by his actions. And so likewise, some of us, think about it. We have a hard time just showing up on Sunday. It's like, oh, really? An hour or so. I got to do that. God's not asking for your son, you know. He's not asking you to give your daughter. You know, some of us, we have a hard time tithing. We have a hard time giving our talents. We have a hard time giving something back to God. And, and, and he says, you know, Abraham didn't. His faith was in action. He proved he had faith, not by his tongue but by his deeds that he did see and and so same with us and so then to all the people who would say well yeah but that's abraham dude yeah i mean abraham's just like superhero you know awesome and and an incredible guy and we don't even uh, you know we can't relate to that he says okay well how about another example rahab okay now we're gonna go from patriarch of faith to prostitute. Rahab the harlot, who's not even a Jewish person. So, okay, now she's a non-Jew. She's a woman. 
which in that culture, there's two strikes against you. And, and, and so he's saying, hey, let, let's just take somebody who's not from our rank. Let's take somebody who doesn't meet the, the criteria that you would set up with for someone who ought to be a great giant of faith. And let's just talk about Rahab. Because Rahab had these two spies come in. And they were looking over the promised land, if you remember the story, some of you. And, and so here, let me just give a short version. They, they hid out at her house. And, and here's what she did. Instead of saying, here they are, arrest them. She committed treason. She hid them in her house. And the Bible says why she did it. Why she did it, she told it to them. She said, here's what I know. Your God is the true God. And your God is going to give you this city. I know it. We're done. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hide you guys out. And here's what I'm asking, is that you would spare me when God gives you our city. And, and there's a knock at the door. And she's like, get under the bed. Get under there. Get under there. She goes to the door. And they said, hey, we, we've got a report. There's two of the enemy that have been coming by here. And somebody said they thought I'm come by your house. She said, oh, they did. They did. And I told them to go that way. And so these guys go, oh, okay, I don't know if it was Barney Fife or who this was. You know, and, and so and some of you don't even know who that is. But anyway, they, they chase off, and they're like, okay. She said they're this way. And she says, guys, come out. Listen, when, when you come back and take this city, will you spare me? And they said, lady, here's what we'll do. If you'll hang a scarlet rope out of your window that's right here on the wall, of the city, then we will spare you and anyone who is a believer in this house. You get anyone who believes that our God is the God, you get them in this house and they will be saved. She says, thank you. Now, wait a little bit. Let them get way out there and then climb over the wall and run. And the Bible says when they came back, and they get, got the city when the walls of Jericho fell. They said, wherever that rope is, save that lady and whoever's with her. And the Bible says those guys went back in, saved her, and rescued her. She lived the rest of her life as a believer in the camp of the people of God. And here's what he says. He, he's saying, she didn't just say I'm a believer. She demonstrated it. She put her life at risk over her faith. She put her money where her mouth is. And as a result, she was saved. You see, real faith works like that. And, and he, he winds this up in, in James chapter 2, verse 26. He talks about, you know, faith like a body. And it has a spirit. And, and we know that. We know that, you know, we're not just this. There's somebody in there, right? And that's the real you. And so he says, but you can't have one without the other. You can't have just the body, and you can't have just the spirit. You have both. And we know from studying this earlier about the spirit that often that's used for breath. And so you got to have breath in there. you got to be breathing to be alive. And so here's what I believe he's saying. He's saying, showing the royal law of love, to love your neighbor 
as yourself should be just as natural as breathing. See, just every day, just like you breathe every day, you should love your neighbor as yourself. I'm just going to love my neighbor as myself. So here's, here's what Paul says about this in Ephesians chapter 10. I'm, we're we're going to take communion right after this. Let's read the scripture just real quick. Pull it up for me. Ephesians chapter 2 says, Therefore remember that formerly you who were called Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised. See, they even, they even had names back there. You uncircumcised, you know. You're the whatever, you know. And he says, you know, you were called the uncircumcised. And we're the circumcised or by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done by human hands. Next verse. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, how many were far away when God drew you in? For far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one. Who can take two groups and make them one? Who can take people of this color and that color and make them one? Who can take male and female and make them one? Who can take young and old and make them one? Who can take rich and poor and make them one. The Bible says Jesus does that. And he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He tore it down by setting aside his flesh, the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making Peace. What could make peace in our culture? Jesus. And in one body to reconcile both of them through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Next verse says, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. The same God that in His mercy, in His favor, in His love, in His grace forgave you is the same one that can forgive that person who's so not like you, who's different from you. But in Christ, we become one. What's the key to unity today and has been every day? It is unity through the Spirit of God. So, here's what we're going to do. Jesus tore the wall down a whole long time ago. All right? He tore it down a long time ago. So, here's what we do. We condemn all racism as sin. As sin. As sin. As it is sin. This church will always and must be a place where all people are equal. Jesus has broken down the walls. So here's what you and I do. We refuse prejudice. Red, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in his sight. Rich, poor, in between. Doesn't make any difference. And so we're just not going to get into being prejudiced because we have one father through God, right? And 
and hang on, then you can cut, cut loose, all right? Uh, then we're going to keep perspective. We're gonna, not going to let a culture who doesn't know God get a microphone in their hands and broadcast to us how we ought to act and how we ought to think and how we ought to react to whatever just happened and this, that, and the other and try to stir something up instead of fix something up. We know who can fix it up. We know who he is, and his name is Jesus. It's not Donald Trump. It's not Hillary. Clinton, it's not anybody else. What America needs is Jesus Christ. And so here's what we'll do. We're going to live love. We've got a higher law. Okay, we, we honor the United States. It's awesome. Oh, I'm so glad I'm American. You know what? I'll wave a flag with you and whatever else. I'm so proud of this nation and what it stood for and so many times over. And I'm so proud of what people have given to, so I can have the freedom to even be up here today and even say stuff like this. But, but here's the thing is I serve a higher law. It's a royal law. And above and beyond all the laws of this land, I am compelled. You, if you are a Christ follower, you are compelled. You are mandated to follow this royal law. And here it is. This will solve so much. Love your neighbor as yourself. Period. All right. Let's pray. Father, help us today to put faith and works together. Help us today to live life to the full with mercy. Maybe you're here today and you say, Craig, I want to live life with mercy. I want to be a person of mercy. I'm, I'm not always a person of mercy, but, but I need to be because I've certainly been given mercy. And I want to demonstrate that to those around. I want to live the law of love. How many of you join me and say, yes, that's my prayer. That's what I need. I, I want it at the office everywhere I go to live that out. Father in heaven, help us all to live that out. Help us to be people of love help us to grow in this and some of us i know we've got a lot of room to grow and so you, i pray you'll help us to do that maybe you're here today others of you that would say you know i need mercy i need mercy i i know if i were to stand before god there's there's no way i'd win on that one i i know that i've sinned i know i've messed up in my life and I know I'm not living right today. I know I'm not in right relationship with God. But, but I want to be. I want to be. I, I want God's mercy to cover over my mistakes, my sins, my past. I, I want a new start today. I need God's mercy. If you want the eyes of God's mercy to look your way and you want me to pray for you, just raise your hand right now and I'll include you in this closing prayer. Yes. Yes, hands all over this room in different spots and places. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to just pray this all together. Just say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy that sent Jesus to the cross to die for my sin. As my sacrifice, I accept him today to be my Lord and Savior. As much as I know how, I ask you to fill my life with the power of your spirit to live for you. Thank you for accepting me as a child of God today and giving me your mercy in all its fullness. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Come on, church family. Let's praise God for those who received God's mercy today. We're going to take communion together. They're coming with the cup and the bread to serve each and every one of you. And so for those of you who maybe made a commitment.